Hi everyone, my name is Andre Sospino with the Family Office Club uh, and today we have the pleasure of introducing you to Timothy Cunningham uh, who's going to be sharing with us uh, his firm's capital raising success. So Timothy, thank you for being with us today. Uh, if you can please let us know a little bit about yourself and your firm. Sure. Uh, I um, Let's see, myself, uh, very quickly, um, I co-founded a group of venture capital funds in the 80s in uh, Philadelphia. Uh, was actual, subsequent to that was the first uh, consultant to both of the big public pension funds in Pennsylvania. So the Pennsylvania public school employees and the state employees uh, for their venture capital and private equity program, which at the time was uh, robust, but they didn't have a consultant. And I had never done that before, but since I'd spent some six years or so uh, in the venture business, I undertook it. Uh, subsequent to that, uh, wrote a couple of books, uh, went into business with the with the former chief investment officer of one of the funds, uh, and uh, ultimately uh, formed Touchstone Group in 2002 as an institutional placement agent. Uh, um, now, we handle both liquid and illiquid uh, that is to say, hedge fund strategies as well as private equity and venture capital strategies at the outset. But pretty soon, we we all return to our roots in in the illiquids, and we we don't represent uh, generally. Uh, well, ex ex we're exclusively the illiquids now. So um, we're institutional only, and we call on uh, several hundred family offices. Uh, I would say probably. 400 or so, uh, 450, somewhere in that uh, in that area, uh, both in North America and in Europe to a lesser degree in Asia. Um, and generally for a family office, uh, for, for us to want to call on them, uh, they have to be of an institutional orientation. That is to say, we're the patriarch uh, or the G2, G3 uh, uh, offspring aren't actually managing the money. They've hired people to manage the money. Um, and that's as distinct from, a, from you know, the so-called uh, multifamily offices. There are a few of those where, you know, where the, where the families actually do get together and share admin and all of that, but very few. And, and they don't survive uh, past the, pay, the, the, the main patriarch organizer dying, typically. Uh, they they kind of spin apart. So single family offices in, in excess of five to six, seven hundred million in investable AUM at that juncture, they hire staff, they get CFAs on board and so forth. You know, smaller than that, they often handle it themselves or perhaps a wealth advisor, um, but it isn't a dedicated uh, group. And we call on the dedicated groups. Excellent. Uh, thank you. Uh, so working strictly with institutional single family offices that have a CIO or CFO really in place uh, to allocate the funds. Uh, and I know you and your five person team have raised over $5 billion to date. Um, and you know, you kind of just answered that question in terms of who you serve and who you raise capital from. Uh, but do you think that picking that segment of investors is really what has allowed you to hit that number and hit those targets? Oh, oh clearly in terms of the, the gross volume of, of capital raise, no question that, you know, when you, when you call on people whose bite size is, you know, 10, uh, 25, 50, $100 million, uh, you know, then, then you're, you're obviously going to raise more capital, but, but the, 
process of raising capital from those sorts of people is different from the process of raising capital um, with more relationship-based uh, kind, kinds of an approach. Both are equally valid business models, but we, we, we pursue the institutional side. And can you uh, paint a picture for me a little bit on what those differences could be in terms of raising directly with the patriarch? Sure. Sure. Yeah. Um, first of all, the relationship-based business is, by its nature, uh, it's going to be limited in size. You can't know everybody, and you can't have a trusted relationship with the decision maker in in many family offices uh, at once. I mean, you you can you can get passed around, if you will, uh, and there are people who did. Bernie Madoff is a great example of somebody who was passed around, yeah. but generally speaking. Uh, the relationship business is, you know, is a uh, one here and one there. Uh, you play golf with folks. You 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 see them socially uh, if you can, uh, and so forth. Now, our business is process driven, so we we uh, help our clients shape the narrative and materials and all of that. And we know that we're going to get turned down. Uh, our relationship gives us the access in terms of speed of response. But since it's a team sport in the institutional world, uh, no one member of the team typically can can speak for the whole team. Even the CIOs, you know, they, they've established an allocation plan. They have an existing portfolio. You know, they, they have other things, other fish to fry. So if you call them up, you know, assuming you can get through to them, um, you know, they'll tell you, well, we're looking for lower middle market buyouts in the healthcare services space. And, and you say, well, you know, I, I, you know, we actually have a really interesting early stage Silicon Valley venture group. Uh, and they'll say, well, you know, we're not really looking at that right now. And it doesn't matter how, you know, what your relationship is with them. You can't sell them. You can sell a patriarch. You can persuade a patriarch with narrative that this is something that they might want to do. And you may know what they know and like, and, and they trust you for your judgment. And, and so you bring them something that you know that they'll like, and it's a different kind of relationship. And so is it, is, it's a different type of relationship, uh, but in terms of the processes, um, how, how are you working to get through the gatekeepers and to be able to get that call in that meeting with that CIO? Uh, what's the call qualification process like? Are you not finding out what that mandate is until you're finally on the call with the CIO? Or are you finding it out at least beforehand and possibly still setting up a meeting right. for the clarity? <clears throat> how are you? Well, qualifying that yeah it's a, it's a good it's a good question yeah it's a good question first of all the cio doesn't always or doesn't often involve themselves in the initial stages of manager selection mm -hmm. so you're going to be dealing with staff now now you know if you're dealing with staff at a place like i don't know all state insurance uh they've got 20 some odd people on staff they put out you know uh, a lot of money uh every year uh they invest off their balance sheet you're not talking to the CIO, uh, first of all. Secondly, how do we get in front of them? Um, you know, this is really our clients more than us, our underwriting of folks in the sense that, you know, we look at a lot of managers and and we do our work and, and we know that team strategy and track record are the three elements that are important to, to professional investors. Uh, and we want to see, I mean, you can't get everything, otherwise they wouldn't hire us to raise capital. But 
Um, you know, you want a team that's gone full cycle in the discipline and strategy that they're promoting or offering. You want a, a strategy that all else equal is in favor and differentiated to the degree that it's unlikely they have full exposure to it and, and want that exposure. Uh, and you have to have a track record that makes sense for them and track records that make sense for institutional investors in the illiquid space generally have to be over uh, 3x gross MOIC multiple of invested capital. Um, and, you know, you have to be sort of above 30% gross IRR. And you have to take out fund expenses and carry, of course, from that to see what the, what the investor actually gets. But those are sort of the gross numbers that we're looking for. So we need to see the team right. We need to see the strategy right. We need to see the track record right. You get all three of those elements right and, and that nothing sells itself. You, you create the narrative, but you know, it's the client, it's the, it's the fund, it's the offering that matters. We just have to know what offering it is that's going to sell because, you know, if it's not going to, if it, if it isn't, you know, if it's not marketable, we don't make money. Yeah, absolutely. And can we dig a little deeper into, into that narrative? What, what does it mean to build a narrative? Um, I myself oh. find that a lot of firms um, have the track record, have the numbers, and they feel like that's enough. And us, Family Office Club, being very marketing heavy, uh, we do talk a lot about making sure you build that narrative. And sometimes you get a little pushback and say, well, that's not needed or that may come off as too salesy. Oh, yeah, the numbers will sell. The numbers speak for themselves. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, exactly. yeah, you know, actually they don't. Um, and people don't buy numbers. All right. First of all, I make an outrageous ask of investors, just outrageous. Uh, and, and that is, um, I'd like you to commit to invest $50 million, say, to pick a number in a manager. And that manager is going to operate a, a 10 year uh, a limited partnership. Uh, blind pools. You don't know what is going to be in it necessarily. Maybe they'll have an asset or two and they're going to take 20% of the profits and they're going to charge you 2% a year for the privilege for five years of investment period. And you know what? At the end of 10 years, they probably won't have exited everything. So they're going to have to add a couple more years. So you're in this for a dozen years and I can't tell you what we're going to invest it in. So trust me. Now, that kind of a trust me sale is, you know, every, we do that, right? I and mean, that's what you do when you're selling these offerings, right? Well, that kind of a trust, trusting sale requires a narrative to, to enter into the possibility. So why, why do I say that? Um, human beings, you know, we haven't had writing for all that long, right? Mm -hmm. So narratives are how we've organized and construct reality. Um, my son, the honors Princeton English graduate tells me about how narratives are constructed. And he says, it's really interesting. You know, you've got a protagonist, you've got a challenge and the, the challenge is overcome. That's the structure of a narrative. So you say, well, how do you do that? Like a, a GP in a venture fund or something. Yeah. Well, okay. You know, you have the protagonist, that's ABC venture fund or, or XYZ buyout fund or whatever it is, right? What's the challenge? Well, most of the, how does the strategy solve the problem at hand? Whatever that problem may be, you know, in terms of uh, differentiation, how, how, how dif you know, does it give somebody better exposure? Why, how, how's that work? Because, you know, you need this. So there's a challenge to be overcome. And how do you overcome it? Well, you make the commitment. So that's, that's a, a very over, oversimplified way of describing how narratives are created. Um, what's the challenge that needs to be overcome here? What's, what problem are you seeking to solve for your investor? 
um, and and then you can put it together. And you have to know what the investor wants. It's not just numbers. You know, they they need to they need to, they need a story to understand what you're doing, and you have to put that together. It's like uh, we were uh, we were representing at one point a Brazilian. Uh, uh, group and and we raised a couple of, of funds for them. Uh, the first was, I guess, about 175 million, and the second was, I think we were targeting 300, and we got 380, something like that. So they were both oversubscribed. N- not me. It was the GP. They were brilliant, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, and and yet when he went to market, he didn't he, he didn't have a good origin story for himself. And as it turns out, he was investing in the value value chain in ag, doing buyouts in Brazil. Didn't even know what, what was his backstory. Backstory was his dad had run Monsanto Latin America from St. Louis. He went to high school in St. Louis and 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 uh, you know then to Harvard. Uh, his backstory was that he grew up in the Pampa in Argentina, and his his grandfather owned a big machinery farm machinery dealer. You know, he had all this farming stuff in him and he had an ag fund and he didn't he hadn't even put that together in the strip people want to know who are you you know this is an outrageous bet who are you so you got to put that together and the origin story and that's the protagonist part and then the 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 how you overcome whatever challenge it is you're offering is that part and then you're the solution now that's overly simplified but that's how i do it anyway and what would be your advice for a firm, right? Because for me, you know, it's uh, the narrative, right? Uh, I've, I've been in marketing uh, since the beginning of my career. And we've had different names for the narrative. We've called it the ID. We've called it the bio. I've, I've, we've also called it the, um, the uh, earn your right, right? One of the mentors that I, that I learned about building narratives called it earning your right, um, you're right Interesting. to go into the next step and actually discuss your strategy and, and why and, right. and, and your product. Um, what would you say to someone who, uh, it's easy for me in a sense because I've been around marketing and sales for so long, but what would you say to someone that it's, you know, they know, they know the markets, they know, they know their investment strategy, but this doesn't come natural to them. What would be your advice to them on building a narrative? On, on, on building that brand, that story? Well, first of all, you know, you don't, nobody exists in a vacuum. So you don't need to refer to your competitors directly, but you need to position yourself within that real ecosystem of people competing for that money that you're looking to have committed to you. So you need to understand that. What are other, what buttons are being pushed by other people that are resulting in, in successful uh, uh, raising of the capital. And, and I don't mean that in a programmatic way. I mean, in a, you know, in a very thoughtful narrative way, what's the competition saying? You know, what does, and, and in other words, what does everybody know about this market? And do you know that? And if you do, that's great, you should. But what do you do that's different that you know about? But you have, so placing it in context is the most important thing. You're not, a, you're not an island. Who are your competitors? Not by name. Who are your competitors? Not by name, but, you know, what, what are they doing? What do they sound like? In fact, many uh, managers like to put uh, some kind of map the market in their deck. And I said, oh, <laughs> leave, leave other people's logos out of it. You know, yeah. you need to know this. 
You need to know where you are. If you're going to do it, do it in a generic way where you say, well, in terms of stage of development, here's where we sit, or in terms of this, that, and it's a generic chart on the industry. But know what, know where you are in the marketplace. Where, what's your position? Are you, are you, you know, maybe everybody doing what you're doing has the kind of numbers you've got. Maybe everybody's numbers are terrible. Um, maybe there's a reason why what you're doing is special, but you need to con contrast it to the other stuff uh, to make sure that, that it comes out as special. Does that make sense? That makes incredible sense. It's so valuable. Um, it, it's so incredibly valuable. I, I really hope that people really take that to heart. Uh, because, you know, we call it the, the, the unique value proposition, the unique sales proposition, the contextual investment proposition, um, you know, and really working hard to develop that. Um, I think it's, it's absolutely critical. And, and people have to understand that there's, yes, you have a track record, you have great numbers, and, but people want to feel something powerful as well. And that's what that's there for. Um, so thank you so much for sharing that, Timothy. Uh, fire hose session, 15 minutes. Thank you for building so much value. Uh, I, terrific. I appreciate it. Thanks for the chance. And maybe I could do it again uh, at some point with new questions. <laughs> 100%. Thanks. So All righty. Much.